you are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Halloween Kills. And the story is as follows. The nightmare isn't over as unstoppable killer Michael Myers escapes from Laurie Strode's trap to continue his ritual bloodbath. Injured and taken to the hospital, Laurie fights through the pain as she inspires residents of Hattonfield, Illinois to rise up against Myers. Taking matters into their own hands, the Strode women and other survivors form a vigilante mob to hunt down Michael and end his reign of terror once and for all. The film is starring Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer, Andy Matichak, Will Patton, Thomas Mann, and Anthony Michael Hall. It is written and directed by David Gordon Green, written by Scott Teams and Danny McBride. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Cody Derricks. Hello. And Danilo Castro. Hello, everybody. Okay, I'm going to just come right out of the gate first and foremost and just say up front, I'm not the biggest fan of the slasher genre in general. I'm not. I'm honestly not. I always liked the Scream movies because I liked that they toyed around with the conventions of the slasher genre and kind of flipped them on their uh, on its head. But things like Halloween or like the classic icons of horror like Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, I just never really got into any of this stuff the same way that others have over the years. Heading into the 2018 version or sequel. I don't even know what this is anymore. I, it's a retcon, sequel, this, that, whatever. It's so simple. It's a sequel to a sequel that retcons other things in the franchise. Duh. And, and they're all sharing the same titles. Okay, so the 2018 Halloween was a direct sequel to the 1978 original. We have podcast reviews of both of those, by the way, if you want to take a listen to um, each of them before uh, continuing further with this. But I wasn't the biggest fan of what David Gordon Green was doing with that. I, I was mixed on it. There were some aspects I did like, and then there were some aspects I really didn't like. And I kind of left that whole experience feeling mixed to negative overall. Now, with this middle chapter, because next year, uh, next October 2022, we're going to be getting Halloween Ends. This is functioning as the middle chapter here, and as a result of that, it doesn't have a beginning, it doesn't have an end. There is a different direction that this film goes in introducing the town of Haddonfield and the former victims, and 
Oh, man. All right. Well, I, I, I have a lot of thoughts to get through with this one because, it's, once again, I'm left with mixed emotions overall. But yet in talking with Cody offline, <laughs> uh <-oh. laughs> Cody's a much bigger fan of this one than I am. Danilo, I actually don't know your reaction. So why don't I actually first start off with you to hear what you think of Halloween Kills, and then we'll pass it over to Cody, who is definitely our resident Halloween expert over here and has seen every film in the franchise. So I liked I was I would say I was mildly positive on the 2018 Halloween. I thought there were like you met some things that were interesting about it and some things that didn't really quite come together. But as we alluded to before, this is a reboot of a franchise that's been retconned a few times. There's so many diverging paths on this. I wasn't going into that movie expecting a masterpiece, so I got about what I was hoping for. My expectations were similarly mild going into this one. I don't think it quite met them the way the first one did. And so I think that there are some I think that there's more issues here. And I think that the things that Gordon Green tries to go for here are a little bit loftier, like thematically. I don't think he's able to quite pull them off. There are some things aesthetically I really like, but overall, and I don't want to get too specific. I'm sure we're going to pack all the elements. Um, I, I do think that this is, uh, a, this one's, this one's a step backward for me in comparison to the 2018 version. I'll just say that for, for starters. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Cody, as I mentioned earlier, you just did a ranking, actually, of all films in the series. I admittedly have not seen as many as you have. I've seen, like, the important popular ones, Season um, season of the Witch, H2O, Resurrection, uh, the Rob Zombie films, the original two, and, of course, these new ones. But it's all those uh, ones in the middle there <laughs> that traditionally don't get, like, the best uh, reviews that uh, I, I haven't seen. So you have a lot of history with... The Michael Myers uh, character, Laurie Strode, and just this whole franchise in general. And if we take out the other films for a bit and we just look at this as 1978 original to 2018 and now the sequel to the 2018 film, how is this experience going for you so far? And what did you think of <laughs> Halloween Kills? Well, first of all, I liked you saying I have a history of Michael Myers, like he was a bad ex of mine or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, some of the sequels, it does feel that way. Um, yeah, it's no secret that I'm a big fan of this franchise in a way that you, you know, kind of love a messy friend who might not, you know, give you the best time out, but you know it's going to be uh, memorable. <laughs> um, I would say that, you know, at least half of the films in the franchise are poor to bad. Um, but again, still something about it I just love. And I'm, I don't mean that in a way that I'm excusing uh, negative qualities of the film just because it's a genre. I just have an affection for it, and that's just a personal thing. That being said, the 2018 David Gordon Green Halloween was a big disappointment for me as a fan of the franchise. I found it pretty lifeless. I didn't really think it threaded its own needle in terms of theme properly. I think it wanted to have its cake and eat it too in terms of the Lori character, specifically um, its perspective on what it wants us to think, if anything, about her transformation to this kind of hardened, cynical shell of a person in her like survivalist mode that she's adopted in that movie. I think the movie starts out wanting us to feel bad for her and regretful for the path her life has taken, but then the last act is like, fuck yeah, it's, it's good, it's a good thing. <laughs> in a way that I think is really just kind of lazy narratively because it doesn't make a firm decision in terms of what it wants to do with its characters. I think that's something that I just generally don't appreciate in movies at all. Um, this sequel uh, I found kind of damn fun. I had a good time with Halloween Kills. I was maybe because I was going in with lowered expectations, but I think everything it kind of tries to do in the last movie in terms of uh, lofty themes and, you know, real world characters, this movie either elevates and does better or just abandons smartly, I'd say. The characters in this are much more typical of a slasher genre. You know, they're very like one minded. They're one character. They have one thing to do and they do it. And most of the time, that thing that they have to do is end up getting killed. And that's kind of just part and parcel with the genre. Um I think what it tries to do in terms of, you know, the aforementioned lofty uh, themes and aspirations are for the most part 
kind of successfully pulled off. I really, really kind of was uh, impressed by the way this movie explores mob mentality and um, the way that specifically Americans have this way of self-mythologizing. You know, you always hear after like some sort of tragedy that some, you know, idiots going, you know, if I was there with my gun, I could have stopped it. And it's like, no, you couldn't dude. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> and I like that this movie skewers that, you know, there's, there's a big um, theme of hubris running throughout of people thinking they have the ability to take on something that's beyond them. And for the most part, that hubris is met with a bloody, bloody end. And I think the purpose of that is not exactly laid out in the movie, and that's kind of, you know, not its strongest point. But I do think just the aspiration of it alone, that's something that appeals to me as a film goer, especially as a horror fan. If you have really high uh, aspirations and you, you attempt something, even if you don't fully stick the landing, I generally appreciate that you took the jump at all. Okay, so I like everything that you're saying here in terms of the attempts. But. Exactly, but. <laughs> I feel very, very strongly that and this is this was my problem with the 2018 film as well. I'm having a difficult time understanding the tone that David Gordon Green is going for. I don't know what is meant to be taken seriously and what is paying homage to the original films in terms of bad dialogue, bad acting that it comes off as unintentionally hilarious to me at times and then I can't take it seriously so I just kind of leave it all feeling very confused especially over these last couple of years where horror movies have really stepped into a realm of seriousness that um, sometimes the themes that they're exploring even without gory kills or anything like that are more terrifying on a psychological level than anything that's being attempted here. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think the tone of the movies is something that David Gordon Green and I'd say specifically his co-writer Dana McBride really, really struggle with. I'm really not sure, to your point, what I'm supposed to find funny and the things that I clearly am supposed to find funny, like the really obvious uh, broad strokes humor moments, I mostly don't find funny <laughs> or I don't see the point of them. Take like Big John and Little John for a minute yeah. here. Right. That, that's a great example, I feel like, in this movie where they refer to each other as Big John and Little John, not privately, but in front of like others as well. I understand their, you know, function in this is, you know, they're living in the old Michael Myers house and they're just meant to be eventually killed off by him anyway. Um, you know, credit to the two actors. I actually enjoyed their banter and their characters, you know, for the most part. But in terms of how they're presented here. It's like bordering on so stereotypical that it actually just doesn't come across as believable at that point. And then contrast that with, um, I believe it's Michael's first kill in this movie. Well, other than the firefighters with um, the two, the elderly couple, Phil and Sandra. Yeah. And that is so gruesome and so, so gratuitous, I feel like, in terms of how that is presented, that there's like this contrast here in terms of light fun and let's just enjoy the kills versus no this is fucking horrible and i don't want to watch this anymore i think one of you said it before uh i don't know specifically what in reference to but it, it does feel in the writing that they kind of want to have their cake and eat it too because yeah there are some moments where it almost feels like they're poking fun at the tropes but then they want to like uphold the dramatic moments of those tropes and so it is kind of a little like I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about that because you're right that that initial kill is probably one of the most upsetting in the franchise at least what I've seen but then other moments feel maybe the silliest in the whole franchise and so there's there's lots of extremes here to deal with there's a you know fluorescent light tube going through somebody's neck and while they're slowly dying they're forced to watch as the shape or Michael Myers whatever you want to call it like is stabbing um, that person's husband multiple times. It's just like, and it's played completely straight, very straight. Yeah, I, I mean, and you know what? Combine that with the opening score from John Carpenter that really sets like a great tone. I love the score. Uh, I, I love the score of the 2018 version. I love it here too. And then the opening with the firefighters. I was really on board with 
how dark and how intense this movie was in the beginning. And because I had heard from the Venice premiere that, you know, the body count was higher. It was more brutal than probably ever before. And I was really digging the direction all this was going in. But then as soon as we go to the hospital and then the mob mentality stuff starts coming into play, that's where the film completely lost me. That's so interesting. And I've seen so many people have a similar take when I personally found that to be the strongest part of the movie. <laughs> Again, maybe it's because I'm just impressed that they tried something. No, you know what I think it is, Cody? I think it's exactly like what Danilo said a second ago. There's such extremes in this film that you're either falling on one side or the other. And both are presented here. Sure. So that's how you get this mixed, divided opinion overall, I think. I think what I found impressive about the hospital part of it is the way the film kind of dives off and makes like takes a fork in the road. And there's two paths of destruction in this movie. You know, there's the one that's forged by Michael himself, who is just trying to get home, who's just taking a direct path back to his house and just, you know, slaughtering anybody that comes in his way. And then there's the path of destruction caused by the hysteria that just the mere mention of him being there causes. That has, frankly, nothing to do with him. You know, they it's about a scapegoat in this situation. And I I think the kind of divergence of that I found really interesting. You know, you don't see parallel narratives a lot like that in movies like this, especially compared to the last movie. You usually focus on one survivor and just kind of focus on them and what happens around them. I thought the movie kind of accomplished that pretty well see i had a hard time believing that an entire town some of whom weren't even alive 40 years ago would be this worked up the people that were introduced to and some of the characters that are brought back from uh the earlier films you know that i can understand because they were you know personal victims of michael who have carried around this trauma with them but to get me to believe that they could assemble a crowd like this who 40 years later are this worked up and some weren't even alive from that time. I, I just had a very, very difficult time believing that aspect of it. Like, once again, no. In terms of thematically what they're attempting here, I like the idea of it. I just feel that the execution is very, very sloppy. And honestly... Just very not believable, especially when you have dialogue like this being given to try to justify these decisions. And, you know, you have Anthony Michael Hall, like getting the hospital worked up and getting them into the chant of evil dies tonight. And I'm just like, really? <laughs> like, See, I it almost feels like you're at a sports game. And, you know, like when you yeah. try to start a chant and, you know, you awkwardly can't start it. So you just like sit down. <laughs> it's like that's what should have honestly have happened here. See, I actually completely bought the mob getting riled up like that also mm -hmm. you gotta figure it's late on halloween night half okay. of them are probably drunk you know <laughs> I, I gotta say one thing i really like about the 2018 halloween and now this i do like that the story is continuing over the course of a single night i really really do like that a lot especially considering we have a third film coming which we'll talk about at the end here in terms of like predictions of where we think this is all gonna go but i really like the continuity of it. I like that it picks up right after the house burning in the last film. Lori's been stabbed in the stomach. Allison's father, Car um, Karen's husband, like he he's he's dead and they're dealing with the uh trauma of that. So th this idea that like you said Cody, like there there are these characters, they've been at a bar this evening, they've been drinking a little bit. It's Halloween night. Uh, yeah, I like sure, but man, there's a lot of people in that hospital. Come on. Yeah. That many people? I think um what I found interesting about that is that, you know, Anthony Michael Hall goes up at this open mic night and tells a story, which um, if you're going to tell – if we're talking believability, which is something I don't really care about in any movie <laughs> generally, um, mm -hmm. the idea that a bar on Halloween would want to sit and listen to a story to mic night, that's not believable. But anyway. I mean, isn't it like when Big John and Little John tell the story to the little kids to get them, like, terrified? And it's like – Come on. Yeah. Really? Well, no, that's that's fun. We <laughs> 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 to scare them. But the uh, the thing about this town is that they clearly 
you know, talk about how we moved on and we survived and we made it through that night, but it hasn't been processed properly. And you can see that this is a town that's been passing on this legend, you know, for, you know, to your point, Matt, 40 years. So that the mere suggestion of this evil coming back is enough for everybody to go into, you know, activation mode. And, you know, the thing that we see over and over again is that this town that has not properly processed their trauma, I hate to use that buzzword like this in a, you know, a movie called Halloween Kills, but whatever. And to the, you know, the, the, the end result is they get just absolutely slaughtered. They're ill prepared for this. Like I said, I don't mind any of this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the ideas, but I just feel that the problem stems from once again, dialogue, performance, tone, how it's all presented. I'll give a great example. I really like the ending of the movie a lot where the townspeople do come, they do fuck them up, and, sorry, spoilers, everyone. Um, and, you know, Michael rises up, obviously, because, you know, you can't you can't kill pure evil, and, you know, he obliterates the townspeople, and the way that it's presented with the slow motion, the sound design, the blood, everything, like, the voiceover, I, I was really, really liking this tone and this presentation of Michael Myers and this exploration of combating trauma and pure evil and how you can't kill it with brute force like all this was really really well done it's all this other shit (laughs) in terms of the characters their decision making the way that they just talk to each other like i'm sorry but like everything with like jamie lee curtis in the hospital with will Patton is jamie lee curtis is going hard in her performance here to try and sell this but I, I don't think it came across as effectively in this one as it did in the 2018 version, in my opinion. I, I thought she was overdoing it at times. Like, that point when she stabs herself with a syringe and screams. I'm like, what what are we doing here? Yeah, that's not how you properly administer medication, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, when Karen's, like, trying to tell her, like, there's a system. And she's like, well, the system failed. I'm like, oh, no, come on. We're going to really state police incompetence, like, this bluntly? It's another instance, I feel like, because obviously in the original Halloween 2, Laurie spends the majority of it in a hospital. And so I, I get sort of like the, the the textual reference that's happening here and why, the, why they're doing that. I just feel like, to Matt's point, larger uh, in the larger sense, the, the execution of it doesn't quite come through because it does feel like she doesn't have anything to do. Like it just feels like she's sort of idly ranting while the plot sort of unfolds outside of her. And so it does feel like she's kind of wasted here um, outside of like the little nod to it. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. I'm actually really worried because, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, to your point, Danilo, was kind of sidelined for this film mm-hmm. because of her injury in the hospital. Andy uh, Matichek's character, um, Al- uh, Allison, you know, breaks her leg at the end of this movie. So I'm now looking at the third film as what are we going to do with her at this point? You know, especially yeah. if they continue with this whole single night. Uh, storyline as opposed to maybe doing a time jump but I, I agree that that kind of 
hinders then what you can do with that character since they're confined to this one space and can't really have much bearing on the plot. Mm-hmm. And then you have Will Patton just like blaming himself, making it all about him. And really, it's he even tells Lori at one point, it's not about you. And I'm like, uh, I don't know if I like that. See, I actually <laughs> did appreciate that because part of the last movie that I had a problem with the Lori characterization is that she spent her whole life, you know, waiting for him to come. And then he does. And I like, you know, I said mentioned earlier, it kind of makes it seem like the film is then, you know, standing by Lori in her poor life decisions. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, I like that they're explicitly stating, no, no, he didn't get there because he was, you know, specifically aiming to go to you because he knew where you were. He was brought there by somebody else. It just, you know, happened to be that he had like an, a, an assistant, <laughs> an Igor practically, to get him to your house. So I think that's that to me kind of in a way improves an aspect of the previous movie that I had a problem with. I don't think it improves overall, but... But you don't feel like that devalues the Laurie Strode, quote-unquote, final girl character type? In terms of what? What do you mean? Like, in terms of just, like, people um, really putting expectations uh, on the Laurie Strode character, that she is the focal point of this story, or rather, this is meant to be about the Strode family, the generational aspects of this trauma being passed down. You don't feel that that, like, kind of devalues her as a character? Not necessarily, because I think it kind of properly shows, you know, the way that you can't live your life in fear, which she clearly has done. You know, in Halloween H2O, which is a movie I don't love overall, but I think gets the Lori character extremely right. She has done, it's probably the most realistic depiction of what might happen in a situation uh, 20 years later from a traumatic event like that, where she's fled halfway across the country, changed her name, and is living just a successful life just under a pseudonym. You know, she's not living her life cowering in fear. And yes, she still has trauma and PTSD from that night, but it doesn't on a grand scale affect the way she lives. Not to say that the 2018 Lori is an unrealistic depiction of how somebody might react to one, you know, to the, to quote that movie, one bad night. But I think it's a less um, impactful way to depict a character, especially that much later in her life. But I could make the argument, though, that what you might call her being fearful, I would call it being prepared. Sure. And strong and resilient and ready to combat, Michael, where people might cower in fear and cry and scream at the mere sight of him and be defenseless and get killed off easily. We know Lori's going to fight him to the death. True. But in this movie, it makes a point to show that There's nothing you can do against this guy. Don't go out of your way to stop him. You know, the only character, for talking spoilers, who doesn't explicitly get killed besides Allison when facing up against Michael is Lindsay Wallace, the character played by Kyle Richards, because she, you know, starts to attack him. And when she realizes that she cannot take him down, she's being overpowered, she flees. She runs and hides and she makes it through the night. I actually really like that scene, even though it, you know, kind of had a call back to me to uh, fellowship and when they're hiding from the other uh, oh, school. I thought the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually really did like that uh, scene a lot. I liked, um, you know, the stillness and the quietness of it all, only hearing Michael's heavy breathing. Like that was that was a very, very effective scene in terms of, you know, just kind of not going for horror in terms of gore, but just like real suspense, you know? Yeah. And I think overall throughout this movie, um, besides maybe the first one, but I would say maybe even on par with that movie, I think this is probably the scariest Michael's been in the whole series. Not just because we see the brutality of his kills, which is a shocking change of pace from the series, you know, except for the original Halloween two, it never really gets super gore. Usually there's like one or two moments of, uh, impressively violent murders per movie. And then that's about it. The rest is kind of just vague stabbing. I mean, is this the highest body count in any Halloween movie? I can't say for sure, but I, I can't off the top of my head think. I mean, if you count how many firemen, how many uh, uh, Haddonfield townspeople are in that final scene, I feel like there's at least like 50 people that have died this evening. <laughs> right. He's, he's totally, he's just a machine in this one. And he is 
the stalker elements I thought were quite effective. You know, like one of the scariest mm-hmm. parts of the movie is when there's the kids on the swing set and they're talking about how there's a man playing hide and seek with them and they're not playing, you know, they're not taking it seriously because they're, you know, just dumb kids. And they go, oh, there he is. Like, what are you doing over there? And you see him really, really far off in the distance. And it was chilling. And that was, you know, a nice effective callback to some of the scarier moments of him stalking the original one. I was also surprised that so many of the kills happen so quickly. In some of the other ones, we build up the suspense a little bit more as like a set piece. People just get dispatched almost immediately. And so that element makes it even more shocking on top of it being so violent. I mean, the title of the movie really lives up to its name. It really does. <laughs> so, I mean, if that's where you're if that's where you're coming for in this case, I can see why you would like this, because some of these kills are really, really graphic and I mean, I'm thinking a lot about, obviously, that um, opening uh, scene with the firefighters and um, the uh, the elderly couple. And then there's also the scene in the car uh, mm-hmm. where there's like multiple people involved. And I mean, it just keeps continuing and continuing all throughout. But you know, what's the one kill in this movie that other than a stylistic choice uh, from a storytelling standpoint, I had a huge problem with. I really hate how Judy Greer gets dispatched at the end of yes, this movie. That was disappointing. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm sorry, but like I did not feel that that moment was earned from a storytelling standpoint. I understand it's going to probably serve as motivation for Lori in the third film, but I did not feel that that the weight of that moment was properly um conveyed stylistically. I love that it's edited and shot like psycho. That was pretty cool. That is it's a nice nod. But I I had a huge problem with this because it came it came right at the very very end. It seemingly felt like it came out of nowhere, and I did not feel that Karen as a character had a proper character arc that was fully completed. Right, and um, you know the most the most unfortunate thing about it is that it looked like they were trying to build something for her in this movie. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yep. She's clearly you know in the last Halloween she has completely pushed her mother aside. You know, the reason she's wearing a Christmas sweater on Halloween throughout this movie, and the last one is because she is ignoring even the idea of it being a thing. <laughs> she's completely pushed this, you know, family tragedy into a little box and pushed it in the back of her mind. And this movie shows her kind of like coming to terms with, you know, her family legacy and her connection to this man. You know, he's a shape. Yes, but he's a man and he had an impact on her life, whether she likes it or not. And how does she take choose to take that, you know, event and how it affected her? She turns it into um, a reason to be extra empathetic to those around her. You know, the way she handles the guy who got into the hospital, mm-hmm. who they think is Michael Myers, who, by the way, is a full foot shorter than Michael. So whatever, that's the whole thing. <laughs> I can not stand the moment where once again there's a line of dialogue where it's like how do we know it's not him i'm like look at that guy physically are you kidding me right come and i'm not on. gonna i'm not gonna say it's inaccurate to how you know mob can mobs can work you know we've seen the dumbest rumors and um, you know half truths get spun into rallying cries for you know an entire political spectrum not to go there with the the movie again called halloween kills but this movie invites that conversation fine once again execution 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 i'm sorry but you throw a line of dialogue in there like you know he's always worn a mask how do we know it's not him ah that is dumb you're making your characters dumb i'm i and i can't do that with this because Listen, it'd be one thing if this movie was populated by all dumb characters and this was just a gratuitous watch Michael Myers dispatch people kind of a B-level movie. But it's clear that it wants us to take this storyline seriously. It wants us to take the Strode family very seriously. It wants us to take the themes of this movie seriously. So when you introduce stuff like this and you have characters behaving in this manner, fine. Your explanation, Cody, listen, if you want to positively spin it, it's a valid argument. <laughs> it's not positive spin. It's how I thought it. It's, it's how it affected me. You know. I, I understand. Opinion. Like it's it's not a bad argument to make if you want to defend it. But at the same time, I just woof. Ah. Yeah, I mean, like the thing with this movie is, I'm not going to pretend it's a perfect movie. I just think what it attempts to do. Again, for me as a as a film lover, I'm generally, regardless of genre, going to appreciate a big swing, whether you hit the ball or not. That's just kind of my. Uh, creed in terms of what I look for for in film. So yes, you know, to both your points, if you're looking for 
a full execution that is flawless and perfect. This film is not that. But if you want something that is at least attempting something, which I think the last movie did not do, it is a really deflating movie on the whole. This is definitely a step up from that. And by contrast, I like what they were doing with the Strode family in the last film. And I liked, once again, the idea of it. And I actually thought that was one of the elements that was actually better executed he, uh, in, in the 2018 film. Whereas here, instead of continuing and putting those characters, those three characters of Allison, Karen and Lori front and center, this movie sidelines them for this larger exploration of mob mentality that I feel does not... I'm not saying that they couldn't have done it. I just would have liked it if the Strode family had a bigger focus in this movie, because obviously that's going to continue on with Halloween ends. And it's going to be the thing that kind of ties all of this together, you know, because I don't think the mob mentality storyline is going to obviously continue into Halloween ends, considering how they all get dispatched at the end of this movie by uh, Michael. Yeah, I, I feel like it's almost like a side detour that we're taking before we get to the grand finale of all of this, which I'm hoping will end this trilogy of movies uh, on a more emotionally satisfying note for me. Um, as far as like final thoughts go for Halloween Kills, there's a couple things I want to mention here that I didn't get a chance to just yet. But Danilo, we'll start off with you. Any final thoughts on Halloween Kills? Um, I think that I know uh, I read that... Uh, Green wanted to shoot the 2018 film and this film back to back. Um, they ultimately didn't do that, but the film, how closely intertwined they are with the continuity, the characters that again, interesting sort of conceptually. I don't know if the execution works because I feel like we flesh out things from the first film that we didn't know in a, uh, I think things that we didn't necessarily need to know while to your point, Matt, I feel like other things got sidelined. I think the relationship between Allison and, um, Oh God, what's the boyfriend's name? Is it Cameron? Oh yeah. Cameron. Mm -hmm. I feel like what happens between them in the 2018 film completely does not get addressed. No, not at all. Despite the fact that they're with each other for most of the film. And I felt like that was a big oversight and, and something that had dramatic potential there. So I thought that was weird, especially given that, you know, spoilers again, Cameron is no more. I mean, given that there's such continuity, as you mentioned before, Daniela, between 2018 and this one, I wonder, and a lot of it's going to depend on Halloween ends, but I wonder how all of this will play as a three-night movie event if you were to watch all three of these back-to-back. -back. Maybe mm -hmm. then the arcs of these characters and when they pop in and pop out of the story, maybe it might flow better. But I agree with you. Cameron's in the beginning of this movie calling in for... Uh, Will Patton uh, to, you know, get brought to the hospital. And then I I know he pops up throughout the movie here or there, but doesn't really come back until the very, very end. And once again, it, it feels like there's another incomplete character arc there. Yeah. And so I, I guess th that would be my biggest sort of thing that I hadn't mentioned uh, in terms of positives. I, I do think the violence is well done. I mean, we hit on that a little bit, but I do want to sort of uh, double back because I think that's probably the 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 best thing that's done here um, in terms of execution. I think that opening appearance of Michael uh, where he's sort of taking out the firefighters against the, the backdrop of the burning house. It, it's it's visually pretty great. I see why that was a big part of the promotion. Oh, yeah. I actually think that's one of the more iconic Michael Myers scenes that will be referenced in future rankings and best moments of the franchise, like moving forward, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. Um, and, uh, I think those are the big ones I, I, I left out that I wanted to sort of hit on. So I'll pass it off to whoever's next. Cody. I basically covered everything I wanted to say about this movie. Like I said, I don't think it's perfect. Obviously, I think it's an, a, a grand step up from the last movie, which I found kind of lifeless. This movie is definitely not lifeless. And to your point, Matt, I'm, I am very interested to see how they all thread together as a trilogy. Um, you know, once we see the next one next year, considering how this movie did shade the previous movie in a way that I thought made that movie slightly, slightly better, even though I still don't love it. Um, Overall, I think that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I got to say. Uh, I got to point out Jim Cummings' appearance in this film in the prologue. Love it. Love just seeing Jim pop up and things. <laughs> um, I don't know if I liked, once again, how him being killed by his partner and then Will Patton kind of carrying this uh, 
this grief and this regret over not having killed Michael all these years earlier. Once again, I just kind of feel that uh, it feels incomplete. And I'm hoping Halloween Ends addresses that a little bit better. Uh, but overall, stylistically, I think I'm more on board now than I was even with the 2018 film in terms of how these movies are shot, how they're edited. Um, the way that Michael Myers is presented, it does feel so in line with the original films that from a stylistic standpoint, I can't fault what David Gordon Green is doing here. My biggest problems, though, come down to, once again, tone and dialogue. So the dialogue is, I, I think, poorly written. But when has any Halloween film had, you know, exemplary dialogue, right? So I could forgive it for that, but then there is this confusion over moments that seem to be there for comedic purposes uh, to kind of introduce like a level of fun. But then Michael is then presented so seriously in such a really, really terrifying manner that it just feels like a very, very odd mix at times. So I'm really, really liking ultimately what David Gordon Green is doing here in terms of style. Um, with the camera work and, you know, the way that some of these kills are done and the suspense and so on and so forth. I mean, the use of the music, too, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, it continues to be a highlight for me of these movies. And admittedly, on a second viewing, I did like it a little bit more than the first time around. I'm still pretty weak on it overall, though. Um, the 2018 Halloween, I gave a four out of 10 to, and I think this time around, you know, on my initial viewing, I was one step down with a three, if I'm being honest with you all. But after having watched it again uh, this morning, right before recording, I think I'm going to give this the benefit of the doubt just a little bit more with an extremely weak four out of 10, uh, because... I, I think I'm starting to finally settle into the groove of what all of this is going for, even if I feel that it's being sloppily presented at times. And the way Halloween ends is done is going to, I think, retroactively change maybe some of my grades for these other films, depending on how that goes. Uh, but it does all feel a part of one piece right now, which is something that I really, really enjoy. Like these films stylistically don't feel any different than the original films and from each other. So I, I, I really do like that presentation of it. In terms of Halloween ends, I don't know, Cody, where do you think we're, where do you think they're going with this? So I, I'm not somebody who generally predicts what a franchise is going to do. I kind of am just along for the ride. Um, I do think we are absolutely obviously due for a big confrontation between Lori and Michael who don't meet in this movie at all, which is kind of surprising. So I think that's you know something you can definitely count on if nothing else. I I to your point earlier, I do think we're going to see some major fallout from Judy Greer's character being killed, which again is a bummer. Um, I hope she can come back in the next one as a ghost or something. I don't know. <laughs> do you think that it's going to continue to take place over the evening into the dawn? Yes. Or do you think there is going to be a time jump? I do. I think it'll be, you know, it's kind of in the title, Halloween Ends. It's like the night itself is going to end. I think thematically and just in terms of what they're doing with the franchise, it makes sense to kind of continue it as one bad night, which the movie's done before. Halloween 2, the original, takes place mere seconds after the original. Right. Exactly. Danilo, any predictions? <sighs> in terms, I, I agree that we are getting a final showdown. I'm curious to see whether the thing Cody alluded to earlier about Laurie being made to be less of the focus or, or less of sort of the destined one to show down with Michael. I wonder if they're going to continue with that or if that's something that they're going to sort of bring back around and make her the central focus again. You know what I mean? So I'm curious based on the way people respond to this, the way that they have the sort of the trilogy planned out, what they're going to do with that. Um, I don't know for sure, but I'm curious to see about that point in particular. And I'm also excited to see all three. I feel like all three uh, for all of my complaints, I think all three will be probably pretty entertaining to watch on the whole and just see how they all sort of slot together. Um, I think that would probably enhance each of them. Right. And so that part I'm looking forward to also. The other thing I also am contemplating and Cody, I don't know if you have strong feelings on this or not, is there has to be an ending 
in terms of either Lori is going or Michael is going. But they really clearly established, and the franchise has done this all, all throughout the years as well, that Michael can't be defeated. So I, I feel like there's been this willingness with franchise films as of late that when they do present an ending, they have no trouble killing off the main character. I'm curious to know in terms of kind of telling a complete story with a beginning, middle, and end. Are we in for a definitive ending? And then they can just say, we did that. We've been there. It's over. And now we'll present a new version of Halloween, new direction, and do whatever we want from there. Like, do you think that we could get an ending where Laurie or Michael definitively dies? So to your point, the series has always had a problem with how it deals with its final girls when they no longer want to, you know, frankly, use them anymore. The character of Jamie, who we follow for Halloween 4 and 5 as a child, is, like, unceremoniously dispatched at the beginning of 6 in a way that's really upsetting. Lori herself is killed off in Resurrection after making a triumphant return in H2O in a way that's, again, very disrespectful and upsetting. So I do think this movie is probably, or this series, rather, I'm sure is heading in a better direction for Lori specifically. As for Michael, the funny thing about the last Halloween movie that in the tech is that in the text of that film, Michael dies, you know, it ends with them burning in the house and the final shot is them sitting on the truck together. So there's no conclusive, you know, him walking out of the fire or him bursting through the basement floor or anything like that. So they, they had the possibility to end it there. And I wonder if that was a little bit of insurance in case the movie was a flop or wasn't well received. Oh um, no, that's definitely the case because they yeah. have said that they were waiting to see if the movie would be successful before shooting these other two back to back. And that makes total sense. And of course, you know, it was a huge hit. So of course he's going to walk out of the flames. So I think that's an interesting preview of how they're willing to treat the Michael character. You know, this series doesn't hold him sacred in a way that's, you know, they're not worried about the fans rioting because they killed Michael. I think especially because at this point we rebooted the franchise. If you count the zombie sequels three different times. So it's not like this will be the last time you see him, even if it's the last time you see him in this world. They just have like a coda at the end. Michael Myers will return. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what happens there. I, I, I still would not rule out the possibility that they present Michael as if they want to go like a very depressing route. I would not rule out the possibility of Michael being the one to come out on top at the end of all of this. Because it really does feel like that is something that they're, like I said, hammering home in this film. I mean, look at the beating that he's taken. Look at how many times he was stabbed and everything else. I mean, like, how can you kill him? I do wonder, you know, this movie makes him into much more than a man in a way that I found a little bit disingenuous. I don't love when movies, the the Halloween series has a tricky history with presenting why exactly Michael does the things he does. There's a chunk of the series around four, five, and six that is imbuing his seemingly superhuman abilities to the fact that he was part of a predestined Celtic curse. It's it's not good, guys. <laughs> not, a, not a good time for the series. I think I remember those vaguely. I mean, they also have established with these two movies that clearly he's older and he's aged like he's just a man. Right. So I wonder if the series is heading towards reminding the audience no he's just a man i don't really know how they can bounce back from that after you know the way he rises at the end of this movie i was a little bit shocked it seemed like he, they were about to kill him and you know knowing in the back of my head that there's a sequel coming next year i knew that wasn't possible which is you know that's a very like marvel movie problem that i was kind of surprised to see happen here mm -hmm. but i do i wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of where we're heading so as i stated earlier four out of ten for me uh extremely weak but I'm giving this the benefit of the doubt. I might resort back to my original grade of three out of 10, depending on how, how Halloween ends goes, because I do feel like as a middle film, this movie is kind of left in limbo about how I feel about it overall until I could see the grand conclusion of this story. Danilo, what about you? Uh, I think I'm going to land at about a four out of 10 as well. I like watching the Halloween movies with people. I, the quality of it is not really a factor in those environments. And so I can see myself enjoying it there or like we said maybe in the larger trilogy but by itself i uh yeah i'm gonna stick with a four on this cody 
Well, it's a seven for me, uh, seven <laughs> out <of> 10, <laughs> which is, you know, I keep saying a significant step up from the last movie. Again, the tone, it's a problem. I think that's a David Gordon Green, Danny McBride problem. I don't see that going away. So I guess I just have to make my piece of that going into Halloween ends. But everything else about this, I found mostly fun and exciting. And the things that even didn't completely work, I did appreciate the lofty ambitions of. And there's zero Oscar potential for this movie. Oh, my God. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> I remember back when uh, the 2018 film came out, there was like this very, very faint possibility of John Carpenter for score. But no, there's no way. <laughs> right. They also there also was a vague rumbling about like maybe this is Jamie Lee Curtis's time. But nah, no, way. no. Oh, my God. The pre Venice buzz. Uh, and then she got the awarded Venice, too. When I saw this, I was like, what were those people smoking? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what they were on, but yeah, I mean, listen, love her to death. Truly, I'm glad that she's getting this resurgence at this point in her career with this, Knives Out, and anything else that she continues to do right now. It's been great having her in the spotlight more, uh, but this is is not it, people. (laughs) This is not it. So... Yeah. Danilo, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Danilo S. Castro. Cody Derricks. I'm on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram at CodyMonster91. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Halloween Kills here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And if you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars, drop us a comment, let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.